0: For this episode of Speaking of Suicide, I'm speaking to Sandy Clunas. Um, We're doing things a bit differently because Sandy has his own podcast series focusing on men and mental health called The After Hours Lounge. We're going to hear all about Sandy's podcast shortly, but what we're going to do is kind of simulcast, for want of a better word, this episode both on Speaking of Suicide and on The After Hours Lounge. The format is probably going to be a bit more familiar to the Speaking of Suicide regulars, but I'm sure we can... All just roll with it. Sandy comes from Nairn, up in the north of Scotland, originally, which is where we're chatting today. But at 18, he left Nairn, left Scotland, went off to become a windsurfing instructor in Australia, then traveled the world working and windsurfing. On the surface of it, Sandy was living the dream. So what could he possibly have to say about how to deal with mental health challenges? Well, that's exactly what we're gonna find out today. As always, speaking of suicide comes with a, a bit of a word of warning. The podcast is designed to be frank, open, and honest. We can go into some difficult and dark places. We certainly don't always talk about suicide, but if you're listening to this and it does trigger tough thoughts on you, remember you can press pause and you can always get some help. I'm Penny Stewart, and this episode has been sponsored by d Paving Limited, so a big thanks to them for their ongoing support for what we're doing. And finally, Speaking of Suicide is made in collaboration with and in support of Mikey's Line. So if you do need someone to talk to, I'll give you their details at the
1: end of the podcast.
0: Got all that bit out of the way. That bit's done. That's always the difficult (laughs) bit, isn't it? Always the difficult bit. And then we get to chat. Um, Sandy, I do want to come on and talk about the the podcast because it's a really important part of of what you're now doing in your Mm -hmm. life. But before we get to there, I think we should start here and there. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know Nairn, it, it it's a little town that sits right on the the coast um, of the Murray Firth um, or the Murray Coast, and from where we're sitting, it's sort of a, a couple of stone throws to the beach. Yeah. Was it Was it inevitable that you were gonna grow up and get into water sports? Tell me how that all came about. To be
1: honest, despite being you know the location, I mean, looking outside now. Um, we're sitting in my mum's garden, and it's a beautiful sunny day. And you're wondering, well, yeah, this this does seem like a paradise. But as we said before we hit record, it's not always like this. <laughs> but the there always was something about the ocean. I don't know whether it's my name, Sandy. You know, there are connotations to the beach there, and 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 growing up. Um, I mean, unfortunately, at thirty years old, I'm now slightly follicly challenged. But you know, I was always the one with kind of long blonde hair and I, I looked a bit like a surfer and and we, we did go on these water sports holidays as a youngster and there are pictures of me windsurfing at kind of eight ten years old and I'm not I was never a sporty child um, I grew up with a lot of hearing problems so I really struggled with group sports so I never played football um, never played rugby never played never did anything like that quit every sport I ever started but I do remember you know going windsurfing and I was I was the only one that was lifting the sail up and going along and everyone else was, like, really struggling with it and the instructors were like, whoa, and even all the teachers. and, But it was always in my mind and it was the only sport I'd ever done where I felt, oh, I might, be, I might be good at this. the only activity, really, you know.
0: So where did the big dream come from to to leave here and I'm assuming it was the big dream, leave here, go and,
1: and kind of travel the world and become a well windsurfing instructor it actually it it came quite late we went on one holiday we went to turkey uh, twice one year and and then the year after i think 2005 2006 so i was 14 and 15 and and the second year we went i the kids club group we were in whatever we did this thing and i, I the instructors gave me a foot strap at the end to say like how cool whatever and i think it was like the future instructor award so i won that and then it's funny going back now I remember that my first couple of seasons as an instructor, mum said to me she was like this this is you were going to do this she was like I, from the, from you when you were fourteen, you were going to do this, but I got sort of through sixth year I'd applied to university to do film and media I'm very passionate about films as well, films and movies and everything like that and then i just i don't know the penny dropped, and I was like. I was like, I I I nah this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to keep doing exams. I don't want to do this. I wanna go. So I did a load of research and I found these zero to hero courses in Australia, six weeks, and they train you and then you become an instructor.
0: And was it the dream? Was it all fantastic?
1: Um to be honest, yeah, it was, because it was what I wanted to do. It was my dream. I think. It's very easy to say, live in the dream, but everyone's dream is so vastly different. And for me, that was the dream. The dream was to be abroad, getting paid, to teach people to windsurf, living in the sun and having a good time. But I was getting paid next to nothing. I was living in staff accommodation with 30 other people with toilets that didn't work and flooding floors and you know all this stuff. Getting fed three meals a day, that's brilliant, free food, but it was staff food. Sometimes you turn the plate upside down and the food doesn't move, you know. Um, so it, some people go, I couldn't live like that. But for me, I, that was the dream because I could go, I was going windsurfing in Greece or Egypt or Brazil every day in the sun. I was like, for, for me, it was my dream. Yeah. So why aren't you doing that now? Bring us to what,
0: well, what that, went yeah.
1: wrong or what was the turning point? That's because things have changed now. Things have massively changed. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there was this thing. I'm I'm 30 now. Did my first season at 18 in 2010, and did my last season in 2017. So I'm going to say I was 26. It is funny you, when I look at season airs and all my friends that did it, and even the wider industry. There is something about when you do, when you get to that 26, 27, everyone just has a bit of a meltdown and goes right you it's so ingrained in you that this is really weird i did a podcast i was on another podcast a couple of days ago and i all about seasons and stuff and the big thing i talked about is a lot of guests and things on seasons there's this thing where they kind of make a joke to all the staff and say oh so when are you going to get a proper job then when are you going to get a proper job and nothing grates me quite as much as that question because what is a proper job and without that job I was doing out there, these people wouldn't be able to spend thousands of pounds to go out on the holiday to do the thing they love the most and learn from me. So how isn't it a proper job? But after a certain point, I think that question starts getting into your head and you go, when am I going to get a proper job? When am I going to get a proper job? So to be honest, I went out on that last season having already had a discussion with Lock Inch about taking on a role as operations manager there. And I thought about it and uh, and then eventually I was... I swayed towards. All right, I'll go do one last summer. But even during that summer, I'd kind of realized I was like, well, I'm, I'm. I need. I'd hit the roof. I'd achieved the. I was the highest level uh, instructor qualification you can be in windsurfing. I had industry sponsors. I was. Yeah. Everything. You know. But I was like, I'm. I'm not. Nothing's growing from here. There's nowhere for me to go in my in my path. I realized. Right. I probably need to come back to the UK and get a proper job, I suppose. And how wrong I was. Um, but looking back on it now, it was the best possible thing. And I think that's something with mental health, maybe I'm jumping ahead and I apologise if I am, but you you often think, oh, that was such so bad and it was so horrible and everything like that. But y- you learn the most, and it sounds so cliche, but you truly learn the most and get the most out of your worst experiences, in my opinion. And... The, that first year and a half when I came back to live in the UK were the worst years of my life. 2018, 2019, worst years of my life.
0: And I want to, to do a bit of a dive into that. Just before we do, mm. the, the phrase proper job um, snagged me and is an interesting one. And I think I heard you talking about this recently in one of your podcasts, yeah. where y- you were talking a bit about how we're defined by what we do, or we mm. allow ourselves to be defined yeah. by what we we do in life. And do you think that's what it was for you? You were worrying about what other people thought about what you did in life?
1: Uh, yeah, 100%. I think, and obviously I can't speak to it from the other perspective, but I think it is a big problem for men, is that because we want this status, we want this power, we want people to look at us as successful and all this. and. I was very successful in that lane of being a windsurfer and a windsurfing instructor. then I came back to the UK and I felt like I was losing that side of my identity. And I went, I've got nothing else. I don't have a house. I don't have hundreds of thousands of pounds in my bank. I don't have a sports car. I don't have all this stuff. So when I walk into a pub in the UK... I'm not, oh, there's, there's Sandy, the instructor. I saw him on the water earlier. Oh, he taught me last week. He's amazing. That doesn't happen. I walk into a pub and I'm just some other guy. And without being um, egotistical or anything, in, in Greece, I was, I was a big fish in an extremely small pond. The tiniest pond you can imagine. But there, I, I had this, this thing about me that I loved and I was good at, and all these people knew me, and year on year the guests would come back, and they'd bring new people, oh this is Sandy, yes we've got a good instructor, we got Sandy. My whole identity was tied to that, that part of me, and when I came back, that disappeared. disappeared. The remarkable thing is, when I left, I, I took a job, for, for perspective, I took a job um, still in the windsurfing industry, managing a centre on the south coast of England, in a fairly wealthy, well to do area. And the remarkable thing was the thing I get there versus when I'd come up here and spend a few days with my mum and my friends, it felt remarkably different. So even being in the same country, coming up here, I felt less stressed to be successful or anything like that. But I think being down there and being exposed to the wealth down there and all the people who have these things to talk about, I, I just felt a bit, a bit empty and a bit lost, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I could I can entirely relate to to that. I um I chose, you know, elected to leave the BBC after being in the BBC for twenty five years. Yeah. And that stepping away, it was it was it was massive. I thought, <laughs> what am I gonna say when people ask me what I do? When, yeah. <laughs> when I have had all these years being able to go, Oh, I work for the B B C Yeah and, and Exactly. You know, but although I was you know, it was a really the right move and I was really positive about making that move at the same time it sat heavily and these things do sit heavily mm. so let's yeah. let's come back to that difficult year um, if you don't mind us going. no no no, no. I'm,
1: I'm, I'll happily talk about anything yeah yeah
0: so let's talk about that difficult year which by the sound of it was was in part kind of a product of this this massive change mm. change of status change of what is it that you do <laughs> type you know, yeah. scenarios. So, so where did you end up in, in terms of that
1: difficult year? What did it look like in your head? Well, The, the funny thing is, it, it all started really well. Um, if anyone remembers back 2018, the weather in the UK was ridiculous. It was outrageously sunny. I came back, took this job in the UK and was like, oh, here we go, a grim summer in the UK, my first summer in the UK since 2009. And and it was amazing, and it was so sunny and, and just incredible. And I'd taken on this new job, and, and because it's all new, you know, you kind of look, it's like the honeymoon phase, isn't it? So I looked at it, and I was like, oh, this is brilliant, and things like that. And then as I got towards sort of September, October 2018, I feel like something just started to click in me. Another thing, well, a difficult thing is my best friend, who I then started living with, we, we got a flat together right on the coast, right on the beach, literally right on the beach. He got a really good new job with a really, really cool company. And I went, oh, what am I doing? You know, he, 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 someone else, my best mate who, who I did seasons with for years and we're coming up and this. And he, he's just taken this new, new level. And I was like, I haven't. I'm sitting here, I'm still in windsurfing, I'm still having to talk to people about bloody sales and all this stuff and boards and, you know, and then uh, the centre I worked at closed for December and January as well, so I was like, I'm not even getting paid for two months, what am I going to do? And, and I kind of started to realise, what? Well, I'm lost, I literally don't know, I don't, I, I was like, I don't think this is fulfilling me, and for the last eight years or whatever, I had been completely fulfilled in every way possible. And I, and I was like, I, I don't feel like this job is. Again, it goes back to like ego, I suppose, but maybe in a good way of like, I'm, I'm better than this. I can do more than this. It all just pushed me down and I just felt so worthless. By the end of 2018, I just felt completely worthless.
0: And what form did that take day to day? Did it affect your behaviour, your relationship, your relationships with other people, Um, how
1: you kind of moved through each day and week? It affected my relationships with my friends purely because uh, they had no idea what was going on. So I just became, I've always been a real open book and I feel like for those couple of years I closed the book completely. Like, you know, as I said, I've I've talked to my friend, my best mate Ed, who I lived with in a little two-bedroom flat, you know, we hung out every day and... Been best friends since two thousand eleven, and he had no idea. In and in retrospect, we talked about it, and he's like, "I would never have known." And that's the most terrifying thing. Best friend knows me better than pretty much anyone. the The only people that knew I was struggling was uh, my girlfriend and and my mom. And it all came to a head, uh, two thousand and eighteen. Once I'd finished my my work for that year, as I said, Jan- December, January we were closed, and. I just remember sitting at my table looking at the sea, in my lovely flat, and looking at the sea and just sat there going, what's the point of even being here, what's the point? I was like, I got to the point where I was like, I could just go now and no one would know, Like no one would know. I could just just get myself out of here completely and nobody would know and I, I don't remember why. And I don't, I think it becomes such a blur when you're when you're that heightened, you don't really know. I can't remember if mum phoned me or if I phoned mum. But I remember being on the phone to mum and I kind of said, I was like, I don't think I want to be here. And four or five days later, I was on a plane up here. Mum was like, you need to be up here right now. So I came up here and um, I don't even think we talked it out the first few days. I just... I saw my, saw my mates. And did again, you tell I, them? No. <laughs> no, because I was like, they're going to be even less understanding because they don't know me anymore. Or they don't... I, but then if I did, if I had told them, yeah, they'd probably have been like, well, of course I'm here and all this, you know.
0: But then there's this whole thing, and we, you know, we've touched on it quite a few times, this, this business of ego. Mm. And I sometimes wonder if, you know, you've got to a point where you're not feeling great about yourself to begin with and you're comparing yourself to other people by the sound of it. And mm. then if you then put your hand up and say, actually, and I'd quite like to not be around anymore, I guess you can judge yourself for thinking that too. Oh, yeah. So that just that's just another thing to chuck on top of this big heap of
1: stuff that makes you feel crap. Mm. It's and, just, and, it's, and, you it's you just snowballs. You know, I, I always say it's like a... You know, when a snowball starts going down a hill, you know, it's like a cartoon. you rolls down the hill and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what it's like. It's just a vicious circle in your head of, I feel worthless, but I can't tell anyone because that's going to make me feel even more worthless because I'm then not only admitting it to myself, but also to, to the world. It's actually coming out of my mouth rather than just being in my brain, you know?
0: It's ironic, isn't it? Because I, I would imagine, I don't know, but I would imagine a lot of people Standing from the outside, looking at the life you had been leading, and you had a choice, of course, I guess, to go back to that that life of travelling and, mm-hmm. and, and teaching windsurfing. But standing from the outside, they might have thought, as I said at the start of this, that, that you had everything. I wonder if there was an additional pressure for you coming from sort of thinking... I mean, did you ever think, I shouldn't feel like this because
1: I I should be feeling...
0: I'm not explaining it very well. I'm no, you are. That I, I
1: completely know what you mean. Yeah, it, I, I did. No, I, I did you feel 100% guilty did. for
0: not being happier I don't... you'd been living? What other people saw as a dream?
1: I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think. It, I don't think it was guilt. I think again, it was. It, it felt like just an enormous fall from grace. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think I felt guilty about it, but I think I felt like uh, I'm. I've always been known as the one who in the context of coming up to scotland he comes back every couple of years and he's got a tan and he he's traveling off somewhere or other and he's just it's the it's the quote he's just living the dream he's just living the dream and then when i took the the job down in the uk you know all, all the other guys who i did the seasons with my age were all kind of moving to london uh getting a a, a perhaps more serious um job that demanded a lot more of them and i was still working in windsurfing so again, it's, oh, Sandy's still living the dream. He's living down in the beautiful South Coast and he's still putting a wetsuit on every day and going out and doing that. And in my head, I was like, I'm, st- I'm the only one putting a wetsuit. You know, it, I was in the reverse thinking. I was like, how, how do I build something different? But yeah, I felt like I was, yeah, completely stuck. Yeah, it, it wasn't guilt. It was a, a fall from grace. It, it was, I, I felt like I'd fallen so much further than perhaps other people might have done that have lived a more traditional life in their twenties, if that makes sense.
0: So how did you turn things around? Actually, I'm going to ask you another question before we go to that one. Mm. You said that you're quite an open book and that's very obvious from the, the, the podcast that you do. So even though you're an open book and sociable and outgoing, why do you think you couldn't be open
1: about what you were going through uh, I, It goes back to what what I just said. I think it's like it's like a physical manifestation of like how how bad you feel. As soon as it leaves your brain and comes down and wherever I don't know comes up your throat and out your mouth and you talk, it's out there. you've said it. And someone else has got that information, and I think I was so terrified. Like I said, of, of someone else realizing. Oh yeah, Sandy, yeah, he's a bit down, isn't he? And I think as well, when you're when you're that low, you your whole opinion of yourself, of course, changes, but also of other people, and you start looking at them. Of like, if I tell them, they're gonna be like, he's such a killjoy. I don't, I don't want it. You know, I can't take that on. It's that, you know, it's that quote, I can't, I can't take that on. I've, I've got a new job, I'm busy. I'm doing this, I'm going on holiday next week. I can't listen to Sandy talking about, thinking about killing himself. You know, you can't, I can't do that. So you end up, it, again, it's the vicious circle. You end up going, but to be honest, and, and I'll say this for anyone listening that may be struggling, like, that couldn't be further from the truth. Every single person I've ever spoken to about what's going on in my brain has been the opposite of that. I'm not saying they've dropped everything and run to my side and baked me a tray of cookies to make sure I'm okay. But they've just said, Ooh, talk to me. Uh, honestly, and, and especially since I started, you know, being vocal on social media with the podcast and things, I get messages from people I went to school with saying, hey, if you're ever struggling, please send me a message. Which sometimes I'm like, that's a bit weird, I haven't spoken to you for 12 years. You know, but at the same time, you're like, uh, it's unbelievable. All these people that you... At that time, you think they, they, don't, they couldn't care less about me. But actually, they do.
0: You managed to, to turn things around. Obviously, we're sitting here today. Mm. Um, but you made quite a radical change in terms of your working life. Was that a part of you... I was going to say getting better. I don't know if that's the right phrase, really. But getting, feeling
1: better about life and yourself. Yeah, um, Yeah. That, that, was the, that, that was the biggest thing. Like I said, I, I felt like I needed to take some ownership of myself. And uh, I, I realised throughout all this and, and at the place I was working, a role that I had t- also taken on was, was managing their social media. And it got to the point where I was enjoying taking the picture and, and writing a witty caption and, and uploading all the cool new products we got into the, the online store and posting about all that. I was like, I enjoy this more than taking people out on the water and teaching them. The light bulb moment came, and, and it was literally like someone flicked the lights on when I realized I had this moment of self-realization of this is what I now enjoy. So I went to my friend, Ed, who had had this job at this really cool company. I said, can I spend the day with your social media manager? And he was like, yeah, come in. He had a chat and I went in and I spent the day and I was like, cool. And then I met this other guy who's a freelancer. And I went and checked him and I was like, what do you do? I was like, is this a job? Can you just do this for businesses and on your own time and stuff? And he was like, yes, you can. So I went, okay, cool. And then the other light bulb moment. And this, oh, I find it so hard to talk about this. And it sounds, it's going to sound really, maybe it won't, no, I need to stop saying that. It won't sound pathetic because it's a big, it was really important to me. Me and my girlfriend, my girlfriend's also a windsurfer we met. She's an instructor, an amazing windsurfer. And, and, and we went to Fuerteventura in July 2019 and for a week, amazing week. And I was still working at the center at this point and I would, I'd really had enough by this point. And by this point, I'd also done all my research, realized the social media, I was coming to the, the climax of it, I suppose. And on this week, they were also running the world tour event, windsurfing in Fuerteventura. They do the World Cup there every year for slalom and freestyle. I do freestyle windsurfing. And um, I got offered a wild card to compete on the world tour, and I couldn't do it because I had to go home to my job. And I sat at, at Fuerteventura Airport in Burger King with Heidi, my girlfriend, crying, eating a burger and watching the live stream and watching my friends compete and also commentate and all this stuff. And the day after I got home, I quit. I handed my notice in, I said, I'm leaving.
0: What I find really interesting in, in listening to you, I mean, quite a lot of what we've talked about has come back to um, and correct me if I 'm wrong in this please do sandy, but has come to you you know your best mate you, you saw him go off and get this this great job you 're seeing your mates there go and compete at something that you want to be doing so there 's a lot of comparisons going on so i 'm fascinated by the fact that you 've ended up working in social media, which I think is the absolute kind of the mothership of comparison mm-hmm. <laughs> it is the place yeah. where Everybody goes and says, oh, look at me, look at mm. me, look at my perfect world. Yeah, And yeah, I'll try not to get on my soapbox about social media, but I'm really interested to know how you feel about social media. And particularly, it's, it's kind of good points and bad points mm. in relating to mental health and things like comparison, because I think it's, a, as I say, I think it's a place of comparison in, in the is. modern world.
1: Absolutely. So, social media is everyone's lives through rose-tinted glasses. Um, starting off, I will say, c- comparison, there's a great quote, I can't remember who it is. Comparison is the thief of joy, and comparison is the thief of joy. I am awful at comparing myself to people, I do it all the time. Linking that to social media, I was never a huge consumer of it. I was, I, I always viewed it as... And I think there's brilliant and awful bits about social media, but for me working in it, I very much view it as a, perhaps in a slightly different light of I'm more of a, I don't think producer is the right word, but I suppose it make, makes sense. But, you know, I'm I'm putting stuff out there for these businesses and, and doing that. And also w- when you work in it as well, I'm not on social media as Sandy. I'm on social media as whatever entity it is that I'm managing. Yeah, for sure. So when I go on, and, and generally now also, usually when I go on social media, if I go on my own account, it's to post me doing something cool windsurfing. My my own Instagram is only windsurfing. And all the accounts I follow are only windsurfers and windsurfing. And even when I compare myself to other windsurfers, it's different because it's like, oh, they're doing, they're pretty sick at this. You know, so, sure, there's a bit of jealousy, but usually it's like, I want to learn that too. And then the podcast, Instagram, likewise, it's just full of people talking about mental health and it's a very positive place. So I think what people need to realise with social media is that you are the pilot, not the passenger. It's so easy to look at social media and go, oh, it's full of toxic, blah, 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 blah. Just get rid of it. Unfollow it. You don't need to see anything. It's like coming into someone's house and shouting about the wallpaper. It's not your house. You can't go on someone's Instagram and shout about what they're posting and you know, obviously, of course, you know, with the algorithm and all this, you're always going to see it, but it's so easy to take control of what you're seeing on social media. I think that's really important for people to realise.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really, really useful way to kind of think about it and frame it. My my big concern, mm. I guess, comes to social media as as a parent. I yeah, can't, I can't say, yeah. put that to one side. Mm. And And I see young guys and young girls... Um, young girls in particular because yeah. cause I've got a daughter yeah. whose who's day is, is made or ruined by how many likes yeah. they get on something they've done on TikTok or whatever platform they're on and that just um, because we were talking about self-worth or alluding to self-worth mm. and how we frame that and how we frame success earlier on that idea of success being defined by a like yeah I find frightening. Yeah, um, and I was just very interested, so I'm just bringing myself to the party. No, 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 I was no, really interested to see where no, it's
1: no, at with you. No, no, because it, it, is, it is a very valid point, and like I said, I know I know that you're a parent and things like that. So the way you look at it must be, you know, complete. I, I can't speak to that. I'm, you know, third, I hope to be a parent one day. And I, the only thing I will say, I feel like we've we've hit the apex, and now we're going down the down the other side now in terms of. The damage of social media, I think, because there's so much awareness of it now, and even things like um, Instagram taking like counts away, and and you know many what I see actually an awful lot of the the mental health accounts and things like that that I'm exposed to with the podcast Instagram is you know, almost none of them have a like count anymore. You can't see how many likes they've got, and and things like that. And uh, you know, I think social media, to be honest, is most damaging for young girls. And you did say something. Um which,
0: which I've put away in my pocket recently in, in your podcast, you said that actually social media, yeah, there can be lots of bad about it for sure. Mm. But you said one good thing that comes with it is it has never been easier to reach out to a friend mm. and say, you okay? Yeah. And when I heard you say that, I went, ah, yeah, true. Yeah. True. I'll take that. Okay. Um, Listen, we're going to come on and talk about the, the, the podcast, but just before we do... Yeah, 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 If you're listening to this and it is striking a chord with you, don't forget it's OK not to be OK. If you need someone to talk to, you can text Mikey's line on 07786 207755. That's 07786 207755. Or contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter, Friday to Saturday 7pm to 7am. And that doesn't matter where you are in the UK listening to this. If you want to talk to someone, Mikey's line is there for you, if that's the route you want to go. Mm. Sandy, let's come on to talk about the podcast, mm. The After Hours Lounge, and how that all came about. Yeah,
1: well, The After Hours Lounge started in, it started a couple of months after I um, started my, my, I suppose, business. When I, after I started this, so to, to give it time, I always feel a bit awkward, I always feel like I've got to give a time frame for everything. So I quit my job September 2019. Um, I suppose I started doing work as a a social media manager, everything like that. You know, clients, things like that. That started in October. First podcast came out December 2019. So I remember having a conversation with Ed, who has come up a lot in this podcast. Shout out, Ed. Ed does listen to my podcast, so I hope you're listening to this one night. Um, Hi, Ed. (laughs) Hi, Ed. But um, I remember having a conversation with him walking back from the co-op one night to our flat in sort of January, February 2019, so before I'd quit my job or anything, and I was trying to come up with ideas of what I could do within men's mental health. What I could do. I was like, what, what can I... What, what, how can I help? And I'd also recently started listening to podcasts. They'd, they'd come into my sphere, uh, mainly just about films. And I went, well, I'll put it together. I love listening to podcasts. I like talking, and I want to do something about men's mental health. So all just came together. The, the idea of the after-hours lounge, I have always envis- envisaged it as a physical location. So back in the day, I say that makes me sound a thousand years old, but back in the day, I feel like men used to finish work and they'd all go to the pub together and they'd just sit and talk. Whether it was about football or work or their wives and their kids and where they're going on holiday and they just talk and they'd have two or three pints, and then they go home. I don't know whether that was conducive to healthy relationships with their family, but that seems to be what men did. And I feel like men don't do that anymore. And I wanted the after-hours lounge to be, that's where men come and talk, and you have a beer, and you have a chat, and hopefully you leave going, oh, I feel a bit lighter than when I went in, you know? And that, that was that's the idea behind the after-hours lounge. And that's, I suppose, why I've kept it. And I I... I very much hope one day for it to be a physical location. Um, I've scaled back the the beer side of things, mainly because of my own relationship with alcohol. I don't really drink anymore. And I, I'm also fortunate the podcast is sponsored by a non-alcoholic beer brand, so I tend to drink them now. But um, that that was the premise behind it, of just having people on and just, just talking to people and figuring out how they live and what they do. I, I'm fortunate enough I've got so many amazing just friends not even like people i can reach out to, but friends that have just done a lot of cool stuff you know i've got a mate who lives in a lives on a yacht with his girlfriend and his dog and they travel around fiji all the time and i had him he was my first guest on the podcast i've had you know and, and then obviously as the podcast has grown I've, I've reached out to more and more people and then covid if anything was a blessing in disguise because zoom happened and we realized that was okay so i could suddenly talk to people in america and things um, yeah,
0: What impact has all this talking to people had on your ability to be more open about where you're at? Because as we learned earlier on, although you're very open, and mm. very outgoing, you went into personal lockdown when you were having problems. Yeah. So has the podcast kind of greased the wheels
1: because you're much more used to being mm. when okay. talking about this stuff? Yeah, uh, a thousand percent. The way I've always viewed it with the podcast is, um, if I'm going to do this, I have to lead from the front. I can't sit there and profess to be doing a podcast about mental health if I'm not willing to sit there on Instagram and film myself talking about when I was thinking about killing myself. I I can't not do that. So I think I had a few words with myself. And to be honest, I I still... Like, this is the thing with mental health. It's not like a bruise on your arm that's going to disappear after five days. It's not even a, a broken leg that might be a bit bit creaky a few years later. Like, I don't think it ever goes away. And there's amazing, you know, Tyson Fury has said this. All these amazing people have uh, that struggle have also said this. And I'm not a doctor. I don't know this. But from my personal experience, it doesn't go away. A few days ago... or. A few, um, a couple of months ago, I had a panic attack for the first time in ages for no real reason. And I can't go in the bar that I was in anymore. I was in the toilets having a panic attack. Like, for, it doesn't go away. But all you can do is figure out the awareness and the steps to take to 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 mitigate the problem and make it smaller. So what was a bad day becomes a bad morning becomes a bad hour becomes a bad 10 minutes because you have these things in place and that was why going i'm sorry i'm going back miles but that was why i you know left my job as well and i I needed to work on my own time because at that point sometimes i was waking up going i can't do anything today i need to sit on the sofa and watch star wars so i needed a, a lifestyle which allowed me that and anyone out there thinking that that's not possible is talking rubbish i had two months worth of rent in my bank when I quit my job. I didn't have money behind me. I I my you know, I didn't have thousands of pounds in my bank or a family that could support me. I was just taking a chance. You know, and you you need you need to realize that's okay, but in in answering your original question, um yeah, the podcast completely changed it and I very much view the podcast as my own form of therapy as much as putting it out for listeners. You know, it does help me just vent everything in my brain and get my experiences out. Um, yeah. There's one final thing I want to just ask quickly before we wrap things up, and
0: that's that in listening to the your podcast and from from talking to you today, it's very clear that you have no fear of the trench. And what I mean by that is I think when sometimes when people open up and, and tell you that they're they're in a really bad place and they, they share their pain as, as human beings, I think some of us will jump into the trench with them and some of us will turn away from that pain because it's difficult to deal with. You seem to have a capacity to be very open to hearing about other people's pain, Mm. hearing about people's, whether it's depression or dark places that they've been to. And I always call that the trench and you have no fear of the trench you're prepared to get in the trench and guddle around in the mud mm. and and you know probably if you're a big guy you'll be lifting people up over the trench and, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's a special quality because mm. I don't think everybody has the ability
1: to jump in the trench
0: and is that something you learned or do you think that's always been a part of you
1: I feel like it would be um, first of all thank you that's a wonderful compliment Um, I feel it would be egotistical of me to say that that's something that I've always had, because it probably isn't. I think it's definitely been accelerated by the podcast. I think the podcast has just made me enormously empathetic. And it's also given me this awareness that no one really knows what they're doing. And everyone you walk past on the street is probably going through something or other. And it's so easy to say that. And, And I don't want to speak from a position of, ooh, look at me but like having done almost 100 episodes of a podcast and talked to all these people from vastly different walks of life the stories all start to line up and you go oh we all do think the same thing when we get up in the morning we are all nervous about the same things so actually to use your your metaphor if we did just jump in the trench and just help hoik each other out of it every now and then it's just going to make everything better um so I, I, to be honest, I'll put it, I will put it down to the podcast. I think as a windsurfing instructor, when I was doing that, I was so singularly focused on what I was doing and living the dream that I don't think... And even my girlfriend said this about me the other day. You know, She was like, you are so much more of an open human. You were so one-track mind back then, in, in a good way. It's not like I was doing anything bad, but I was so focused on what I was doing. And then I was lost for, lost at sea for a year or two But but now, like I said, it's like someone switched it from black and white to color and then through the podcast as well. I've I've never really been doing this lifestyle without the podcast. It was two months and then I I started the podcast. So this whole journey of, you know, being my own boss and living this lifestyle has always been associated with the podcast. So I've never known it without it. And to be honest, I hope I never don't know it without it. Because I genuinely, I feel like it make, does make me a better person. And that's, uh, as I said, the biggest compliment you could give me is, is r- you've recognised that, you know. Um, yeah, I think it has just given me empathy to realise. Um, yeah, I always do this. I always end up repeating myself in a different way. So, yeah, that's, I've given the answer. <laughs> uh, empathy is a very, very precious quality.
0: Sandy, it's been a, a real delight talking to you um, for those of you who are not familiar with Speaking of Suicide what we do each episode is get Shona McPherson who's a trained counsellor and mental health specialist to reflect on some of the things we've talked about um, just before we hand over to Shona a reminder of Mikey's line if you or someone you know needs help or advice you can text 07786 207755 or contact them via messenger web chat or twitter Sunday to Thursday 6pm to 10pm Friday to Saturday 7pm to 7am. Now here is Shona McPherson with a few thoughts for you to mull over.
2: Listening to Sandy there, it sounds like from the outside he looked like somebody that had it all. Young guy, travelling the world, really good in his sport, and yet through a change of circumstances, as he, as he tells us in his story there, he, his, this change in circumstances affected his mental health and he found himself on an evening in his flat having suicidal thoughts, having thoughts like what is the point in being alive anymore? And in the psychology of suicide we talk about having risk factors and we talk about protective factors. Sandy, through his mental health, was at risk. The fact he was having suicidal thoughts is common and it is a risk factor. And yet he had a protective factor in his mum, in his relationship with his mum. And he was able to access that protection by having the courage, and it sounds like it was incredibly difficult for him, but having the courage to reach out to his mum. And thankfully from there on in, he got got the support he needed and is at the other side of that story now, being a protective factor to other other people actually, through talking about mental health. And that maybe brings us on to the other point that Sandy was was raising in that interview, that um, yes, social media can be detrimental to our mental health if we're just kind of consuming it less consciously. but if we can be more conscious and look at maybe sort of curating what are we consuming through social media um, and who are we following, that can actually be a massive protective factor to us. And also it can we're never we've never been sort of more in, able to be in touch with people. So if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts at the moment or are feeling low and at risk in some way you have got access even if there isn't someone that you trust and that you can talk to you could, um, Mikey's Line for example, do um, use WhatsApp, they use so- forms of social media to reach out so that you can reach out to them. It's really important that you don't and aren't alone with these difficult thoughts and feelings and then yeah finally just to say an overall risk factor in our culture in our society is still the stigma that exists around mental health that is there around talking about suicide and podcasts like this having conversations about suicide um, that is going to be that is changing the conversation already and the more that we can all do that the safer we, we can be ourselves so please if you're listening to this keep that conversation going and thank you for listening today
0: Huge thanks to Shona and all the team at Mikey's Line for the work they do This episode was sponsored by d and Paving Limited Please do like, share and comment about the podcast If you want to get involved by sponsoring an episode or by telling your story like Sandy did today do get in touch with Mikey's line. Speaking of Suicide is an adventurous audio production. The music is Dana by Tom Ireland.